I remember the very first time I went to Massanutten by myself to play 18 holes. Like I, I never played 18 holes by myself and I was so right. nervous about getting paired up with somebody or right. like I would go through and look for available times where all four spots were open and there was gaps before and after. Cause I was like, I don't want anybody to see me yeah, out I, here with right. this. Right. I, yeah. I, I want to, I want to try to get good at this, but I also very much don't want anybody watching me. <laughs> Our, our difference is our, our language. Um, I was right. like, oh, so maybe the most distinctive quality I have as a human, I try to change You're because I was scared. <laughs> I'm scared of how people might perceive me. Um, so maybe that tells you a little bit about me. I think it's interesting um, that, you know, it's uh, how people are perceived by, by dialect. Hello. Today's episode of Future of the Fairway is brought to you by American Classic Golf Club, home of the first world fling golf tournament. Here at American Classic, we like to do things a bit differently. We offer nine holes instead of 18. We like to deck out our golf carts and American flags, and we make sure to put the biggest emphasis on having fun. If you're ever visiting the Lewis or Rehoboth Beach areas, or anywhere near Lower Delaware, please give us a call today to book your Fling Golf Tea Time. You can do so by giving us a call at 302-703-6662 or visiting us at AmericanClassicGolf.com for more information. We look forward to having you. We hope to see you soon. And do not forget, you gotta aim high to let it fly. Welcome, everyone, to the Future of the Fairway podcast. This is your guest host, John Prulich, honored to be filling in for Adam today. But don't worry, Podfather hasn't gone anywhere. He's just switching seats, and today, he will be the guest. Throughout the Future of the Fairway, Adam's done a fantastic job of helping us get to know the people and the personalities that are driving the sport of fling golf. But since Adam is one of those personalities, I thought it was only right that we spent an episode learning about him. So today we'll focus on his fascinating backstory. From growing up in Brazil to how he answered the question everybody from Alabama ultimately has to answer. We also talk about linguistics, his job, certain TV shows, and yes, after a few awkward transitions by years truly, we eventually get around to talking about fling golf, including what it was like for him to host the Virginia Fling Golf Open last year. I had a blast talking with the Podfather, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did making it. So without further ado, let's turn the tables and get to know Adam. All right, Adam Copeland, welcome to the podcast. How hey, thanks doing? a lot. I, I'm doing well. It's uh, interesting to be on this side of the uh, I was going to say, does it feel different on that, on that side? It's got to be... Uh... I mean, right from the start, it's already different. Not, not yeah. being the first one to speak. <laughs> get, get ready, because it's going uh, to be quite the ride. <laughs> I will do my best not to try to jump into uh, into host mode. <laughs> That's I, I, I'm sure uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, well, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us because you know I think a lot of people have uh, you know really enjoyed the podcast, but 
they we get bits and pieces of the sort of Adam Copeland story, but we don't get uh, mm-hmm. we don't get a full deep dive on 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 your background. Um, so love to uh, love to get into uh, some of the details you go into with your guests, but put the uh, put the magnifying glass on uh, on Adam for uh, the Podfather for uh, for an hour or so today. So all right, uh, that sounds great. Let's uh, let's jump in. Like we, yeah, I know you normally start with the Flingoff origin story, but let's mm-hmm. uh, let's let's skip over that for now. And All right. Maybe just go more to uh, to your uh, you know growing up, um, mm-hmm. you know where you came from. Let's talk a little bit about that. Sure, sure. So um, uh, I, I love talking about this. Growing up, I had I always had like a, a really good uh, story or point of interest to share because. Um, when I was 19 months old, my parents moved to Brazil. Uh, so I lived in Brazil from when I was one until I was seven. Um, I was born in Chattanooga. Um, my parents were missionaries for that time in Brazil, uh, working with four other families to do church planting. And, uh, and so I was 19 months. Uh, my mom was eight months pregnant with my brother, uh, who was born like literally 30 days after we landed in the move. Um, and then both my sisters who are four and six years younger than me, uh, were born while we lived there. Uh, so I, uh, I count, I, I'm not technically a Brazilian. Uh, my siblings all are, they've got, dual, they've got, that's gotta, that's gotta be tough. I mean, that's, you know, they, uh, they've got the dual citizenship and you, uh, you just missed it by uh, 19 months. That's right. Um, which is, you know, is, is really from a practical sense. Um, doesn't really make much of a difference. Uh, it's kind of cool um, for them to be able to have those. We found out that uh, when we were we were back in 87 um, and then went back as a family in 98. And it was at that point that, um, you know, my parents were applying for our visas and uh, the Brazilian consulate was like, oh, we don't give visas to Brazilian citizens. Uh, so <laughs> that's when... My uh, my siblings all got two different passports, um, and so they got to go through the quick line when we landed. I was going to say they totally skipped the uh, the long uh, the long line. And- they did, but it, it was a weird situation for them because they would have been sixteen, fourteen, and twelve, and they didn't speak Portuguese. So they go through the Brazilian citizen line. They get there, and you know the agents are talking to them in, in Portuguese, and they're like, uh, "I don't have." This. And then they had to wait for. Us. So it wasn't really much of an advantage. More of like. Uh, y'all hurry up. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, so your first memories have got to just be of Brazil and not Chattanooga. I'm, I'm sure at like, this point that was, you know, nothing. Yeah, I, I mean, pictures in, in Chattanooga. We would go back. Uh, one of the, the churches there was uh, a big part of my parents' financial support. So I remember making trips back uh, through there. Um, now I drive through there sometimes whenever we're uh, visiting my parents in Alabama. We moved back. Uh, to Alabama, uh, to my mom's hometown in Florence when we moved back in uh, when I was about to start second grade. But yeah, my memories uh, are very much from uh, living in Fortaleza, which is in the Northeast Coast, um, playing soccer barefoot in the streets. Uh, I love to tell people that that's where I I did learn to play soccer there. um, And I was a, a pretty good player, but not of like Brazilian national team quality, like right. their foot speed is just uh, amazing. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's weird. I would never have believed that I played barefoot in the streets, except for pictures and videos that we have. Of, oh yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's uh, crazy. But who knows that? I'm like, if you, if you continued living there, maybe it, it, it could have happened for you. 
Very much so. Uh, very much so. Um, I, I guess I, I will I will count that as like a, a positive revisionist history that um, it could have been maybe not. I'm, I'm 42 right now. Um, I don't think I would have been playing in this past World Cup. Uh, <laughs> again, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> That's um, right. So um, now you mentioned your siblings don't speak Portuguese. Did you? Did you learn any all? Uh, you were so we, we all did, and actually, my um, my sister Anna was about three when we moved back and she didn't speak English. Like she could, but she wouldn't like, she just refused when we moved back for like several months. And, um, so we were, we've been back, uh, we went back as a family in 98, 2002 as well. And so being back for like two weeks at a time, I would, uh, I would pick up on vocabulary. So I can, I can sound Brazilian um, to some extent. Um, you know, again, Brazil is a big country. Uh, we lived right. in the Northeast. Um, apparently, the way Brazilians speak in the Northeast is a bit slower than they do in Rio and Sao Paulo. Um, so it, it's, it's almost like the U.S. Like the closer you are to the equator, the slower you speak, and the more of a stigma sometimes there is with that uh, with that accent. Um, right. I, I used to say that I could um, I could speak. Portuguese like a Brazilian, but I only had a seven-year-old's vocabulary because um, <laughs> that's why I moved out. And and then when when Latham came along, uh, when uh, he was born and got to be about, I don't know, 14, 18 months old, he had like a hundred words. And I was like, I do not have a hundred Portuguese words that I can produce. Like I, I've got to start modifying that statement um, because it was kind of a go-to, like Kathy would kind of smile or Roll her eyes sometimes when she eh, really. here he goes again. <laughs> um, but I, I think you know I, I've picked up Duolingo a couple of times to try to get back. So there are certain phrases that I can go to. I I would like to be proficient enough that I could make it appear I know more than I do to just give people that fear of like oh I can't try to speak Portuguese around him because he might actually know what I'm what I'm saying. Right. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's because uh, did you ever take it? After you returned to the U.S., did you ever take it in a formal manner? Or? So we uh, – no, I didn't. I was hoping to in college, um, but they didn't offer it. I took Spanish yeah. in high school and French in college for a couple of years. Um, so, um, again, it's a romance language. Those are both yep. – those are all romance languages. All so all of similarities. Um, I worked with international students um, in the summers of – when I was studying in grad school and so spoke with had Italian kids and uh, students from Mexico, the Dominican Republic. So, you know, I could kind of nuance, I had some Brazilians there too. So I could kind of follow my way uh, through, through some of that. Uh, so but I, I like to think if I, if I went back there and lived for like a month that I would have a whole lot come back to me. Right. Yeah. That's great. That's, so are you, would you say you're a natural for picking up languages, especially romance languages? So I, possibly. Um, I, and I, I did a master's in linguistics and teaching okay. English as a second language. And so through, I, I'd never had any linguistics classes um, up until that point. And, and so one of the things that I learned from that is that there are certain ages in our development um, that are really critical for language uh, acquisition. So like ages uh, two to five are really important. Um, puberty is a really important time too, especially around uh, accents. Um, so I think because I was learning English uh, at the time that we moved there and then I was around it, you know, the Brazilians, we, uh, we, 
lived around and, and interacted with all said that um, me and my siblings spoke Brazilian. My parents kind of spoke Portuguese <laughs> would be their line to, of differentiation. So I think we definitely sounded that. So I think that baseline of learning a second language has made it easier for me to, uh, to try to pick up and uh, sound out other, um, other languages. So like when I've, I've visited a lot of different places um, through work or through other travels and um have a, a, I'd say an, an easier time than a lot of people to pick up phrases and, and try to get towards those sounds, either through that experience of being young and learning a second language, but as well as linguistically uh, and studying that in grad school. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. Like everything I've I've read is about that that early development, that two to five years is you mm-hmm. know, kids are just they're sponges, and I think recently I think it's gotten a lot better in this country. But mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, when I was growing up, there was no emphasis, and this was in the Midwest. There's, there's no emphasis yeah. on learning a second language, as mm-hmm. you know, is a really young kid, and that's the time to do it because it's almost like you're, you know, it's never going to be easier to learn a foreign language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just your brain is developing linguistically. Um, yeah, it's interesting yeah. though. I've never heard about the sort of puberty being when you develop your accent, which is really in your sort of dialect, which is interesting. Yeah, so there's different, you know, different stages of growth uh, that we have. But there was a case study that we read in grad school, and uh, there was a Chinese professor who moved with his wife and four daughters um, from mainland China to the U.S. Um, I think this was probably in the '80s, um, and so his oldest was, I think, 13, and right. the other three kids were all 10 or under, and so as they grew up in the U.S. Um, the three youngest siblings all sounded uh, American. And I forget where they lived, if it was California or New York, but, you know, not distinctive uh, accents. Whereas the oldest child who'd already gone through puberty maintained what would be, you know, she still sounded like um, what you would have a Chinese uh, adult trying to speak or speaking English. So just certain things in her accent. And um, in the case study, it was really funny uh, because the, the professor was one writing about it and talking about how angry his daughter was that they didn't move a couple of years earlier because that seemed to be the dividing line uh, for that. But it was a, it was a pretty big uh, important piece uh, towards some of that research. Um, and again, we don't know, we uh, collectively don't know necessarily what's happening with language acquisition through puberty, but we know that that's a significant point uh in development and there are uh, some implications therefore it's not to say that you can't pick up accents um in other languages post-puberty uh it's just a lot harder uh to do yeah and i, I think some of it's i mean i i just grew up in the midwest and like I, I had a bunch of friends from high school that went to college in texas and like you know like by the end of their freshman year, it was like they were talking like with like Texas accents and like, yeah, yeah. But like, but but it was all, but it was like, who are you fooling? And like, I didn't think there was any <laughs> that at all. And and granted, like, I mean, I'm sure they were immersed by it, but mm-hmm. it was it was more than just a subconscious thing. And unless they were actually, you know, going through puberty at that time, which <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, right? Uh, boys are late developers, uh, so they're, 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 they're part of our brains that didn't really fully develop until we were twenty four, twenty five. Um, so, in college, I went to Australia for three weeks with a service learning project and, and group, and there. Um, so we, we were in Brisbane for most of the time, 
And there was a um, another person who was there through a separate group that we didn't really know about. But as we were introduced to the uh, to the folks that we'd be working with, you know, we thought she sounded Australian like everybody else. Well, it turned out she had been in Brisbane for like six months, and she's from East Tennessee. Where I went to college in Nashville. So there's a bunch of people who were from the same area, but just six yeah. months of being there, and we were in our 20s. Um, she had picked up enough and probably, you know, turned it up a notch to, and she completely fooled us. Like we thought she had grown up in, uh, in Australia. She's like, Oh no, I've just been living here and I've picked up enough of, you know, the, the word changes that you do, but some of the, some of the emphasis and some of the way you say certain words, uh, she just picked that up, um, and was able to, to, uh, to really, uh, throw us for a loop, uh, as far as where she was from originally. Yeah, because you, you always wonder like how much of it's natural or sort of forced because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you'll have like – and this happens all the time with like British actors who oh, yeah. have, do a great job with like American accents. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you don't – you find out like, you know, I remember uh, – I think the one for me was like I, I used to watch House when it was on. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, yeah like, he didn't know like his whole sort of, you know – career as a comedian before but that he was british for like halfway through the show and i'm like oh my god that's amazing like yeah yeah you know, like he's like i mean like proper british accent mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he nails an american accent you just mm-hmm. you just never know that he can just you know turn it on and turn it off yeah versus yeah. you know someone that uh you know really becomes ingrained into you and then you can you can you know turn it on at a, at a sort of mm-hmm, moment mm-hmm. not even think about it yeah um, so i'm always yeah. amazed by that especially when you that you then see people doing uh, more American actors that are trying to do different dialects and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. do a horrible job. Like the, yeah. the classic case is like the, and I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up in Boston, but like actors trying to do Boston accents. Oh, yeah. There are very few that actually can pull it off. And most of them are like your Ben Affleck's and your Matt Dane, like people that actually grew up in Boston. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's tough well, because, you know, everybody wants to do like a, you know, they want to do like a Kennedy accent. And like, that's actually mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. Boston at all. I mean, right, it's, it's right. influenced by it, but it's just this, this tiny sort of wealthy niche of like, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they just, it's hard to nail that, you know, true, you know, Boston accent without sounding like a total caricature. Well, Boston's a good example because there's multiple accents that are there. Yep. Um, there was a, um, so again, in grad school, we, we watched the, PBS did some really cool documentaries on, uh, I think they were called, uh, it was called American Tongues. Um, they've got different segments and Boston was one of the places they highlighted and they've got representatives from the Brahmin from, uh, you know, maybe a bit more working class. I forget which of the different um, parts of town they also pulled right. out, but you know, you, you watch a clip of four different people in a row, all from Boston. All of a sudden you're like, Oh wait, wait. So in my mind, you know, a Boston accent is, you know, whether it's Kennedy or, you know, the uh, Park, Yacar, and Harvard Yard, yeah, you know, the, that type of thing. The Southie, the, the typical Southie. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, um, but it, it's, it's wild and a lot, it's, uh, it's really different. And, um, and yeah, a lot of, a lot of respect to folks who, um, uh, who are able to, you know, maybe not a Boston accent, but able to, uh, to find that out uh, and, and, and do, do one. That's, um, I like listening to, um, actors talk about dialect coaches that they've yep. worked with and, yep. um, and hearing uh, the, the different ways uh, to do that. 
Yeah, no, and I, I think in sometimes like because I think some of them those coaches are really good. Other times I think they should have just been like, um, <laughs> dude, you're not, you're never going to get there. And yeah, yeah. Just yeah. you know, we, we just need to rewrite the character so he's not from this you know, mm-hmm. wherever, or yeah. come up with a reason why he doesn't have this accent. Because they're <laughs> right. not doing right. it. Like, uh, yeah. uh, I think like Tom Hanks, you know, amazing actor, but mm-hmm. like that guy couldn't do a Boston accent to save his life. Yeah. And yeah. I think uh, I think I read something. I haven't seen it, but I think that he did. Uh, there were some critical comments about uh, um, that new Elvis movie. I think he. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I like seen he's that. doing uh, um, uh, Elvis's manager, and and he's mm-hmm. got a very unique accent. And I think it's uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people were critical of, of that, and so I think I was think that Sam Cook. What's that? Was it Sam? Forget that. There was somebody. I, the reason I mentioned that. Uh, so Elvis from Tupelo, Mississippi, which is about forty-five minutes or an hour from where I grew up in Alabama, in Florence. And there was a one of the big radio guys out of Memphis was actually from Florence as well. And I, I don't think he, I don't know if he was the manager or one of the guys working for one of the big studios that um, helped get him into the business. It was the guy, and I can't. I'm, bl- I'm totally blanking on it. I'm like, I think it was Tom something or other, but it was like, and I, for some reason, I want to say Major Tom, but it's not. Yeah. It's not, it's not David Bowie, um, <laughs> but uh, um, I forget who it was. But it was a, it was sort of this classic guy in his background, and he had just a really interesting background. But uh, yeah. people were saying that like it's a very nuanced kind of thing, and, mm-hmm. and uh, um, he was trying to do it, but it, it like he gave it a shot, but it just sort of came out like bizarre. Yeah. I, I like asking folks uh, where they think I'm from uh, because I debated in high school and I had, I didn't go to, um, I had a couple of friends who went to debate camp in Michigan one summer and they came back and they're like, man, everybody was so mean to us. Cause they just talked about how, or they made fun of us. Cause they said that we sounded like Hicks and we were from, from the South. And you know, this was like, I guess 10th grade for me. And I was like, and again, so that wasn't my firsthand experience, but I was like, right. man, Whenever I go to college, I need to make sure I I try not to sound like I'm from uh, from Alabama or from the South because there's going to be a negative stigma with that. Then I get to grad school, and there's a, an argument that linguists would make that um, humans should should be I forget what the you know we're referred to as Homo sapiens because we walk upright, but so do a bunch of other primates, right? Our, our difference is our, our language. Um, I was right. like, oh, so maybe the most distinctive quality I have as a human, I try to change You're because I was scared. <laughs> I'm scared of how people might perceive me. Um, so maybe that tells you a little bit about me. No, I, 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 think it's, I think it's interesting um, that, you know, it's uh, how people are perceived by, by dialects is, is mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the number of people. Because I, I know a bunch of friends of mine who sort of grew up in Boston, they also, they actually had some pretty severe Boston accents and they tried to, I shouldn't say try, they, they sort of like don't have them anymore, mm-hmm. but they had mm-hmm. to consciously, you know, work at it. And, yeah. you know, it's been years. So I think they got to the point where it's, it's natural now and they don't mm-hmm. really, you know, it's not like when they, you know, get mad, they fall back into it, but, uh, right, right. but, it, but, you know, it's, it was a conscious thing to do. And I think that, mm-hmm. that happens, you know, all over the place. And I, I think there is that stigma of like the Southern accent, which like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. people, people love it, but then they don't want to associate it with, you know, intellectualism and right, right. You know, highly educated. So, you know, which is, which is unfortunate because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, just, it's just a matter of where you grew up has nothing to do it, with. It, it, very much so. Right. There, there's not really conscious choices that we yeah. are making as we're learning how to speak and, and learning right. what, you know, what was around. I enjoyed asking folks, um, 
you know, where do you think I'm from? And, or what do, what do you think I sound like? And they're like, oh, you don't sound like you're from Alabama. You sound like you're from Tennessee. I'm like, what's that distinction? Like, I, I don't understand what. Like, yeah, I wouldn't have, like, I wouldn't have said the South at all. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm not sure where I would have said it, but it, like, I would, I would say that like, um, Virginia would have made sense just because it, you know, the closer, certainly the closer you get to like DC, it's, it's. Yeah. Yeah. There's a more neutral, Mm -hmm. um, Mm uh, you know, more of a, uh, um, a lot of transplants in DC too. So, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it could have been like your parents came from someplace else. I might have said, would have surprised me like Midwest at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would not have said sort of, uh, sort of deep South. Mm now, so your your parents did they were they originally from Tennessee? Uh, no, they. Um, my dad grew up in was born in Raleigh, North Carolina, and okay. then but but he grew up in Newport News. Um, his dad was um, my granddad was finishing a degree uh, from NC State in math, and then he went on and had a career uh, working as a mathematician in the shipyards um, uh, north of Newport News and with NASA a little bit. Wow. Um, that's crazy. And uh, my mom grew up in uh, Northwest Alabama and they met in college, a small private college in Tennessee called Freed Hardeman. So that's how they, how their paths crossed. And how, uh, and then they made the decision to, uh, to bring a redone out of Brazil, which is. Uh, yeah. So I think near the, their junior or senior year, they didn't start, like they went on a, a first date together their freshman year of college. And, um, then we're friends. They didn't date anymore until their senior year of college. I think by that time, my dad had uh, decided that he wanted to go and um, go somewhere and do do mission work. Um, and I think that my mom had they they went to Trinidad and Tobago. I think um, on uh, in their senior year for a mission trip, um, and I think that's where they got engaged. Actually, which is kind of like wild and romantic um but so they near the end of their uh college career they made that commitment and they had gotten connected through another organization with like four other couples that were about that same age and so they started working towards that so they moved to shreveport um after college and worked there and then uh one of the uh one of the other couples that was going uh their home church was in chattanooga so they'd move mom and dad moved there um, because that church was also looking to support a couple of families. So I think it started out like they, they went on a survey trip in 77 or 79. There were like eight or 10 couples and it kind of got whittled down uh, uh, so that by 81, there was five of them uh, that moved. And uh, what would they say about the experience? It must have been a good one. I mean, it was. It was oh, yeah. I, I think it's years down there. fascinating. You know, yeah. for, for a lot of them, I guess my, my dad grew up in. Virginia. There was uh, other couples who had grown up um, in Texas, Arkansas, and Tennessee, and Mississippi. So, you know, mostly from the the south, southeast. Um, so, you know, Fortaleza at the time had about a million and a half, two million people. So, probably the biggest city that any of them had lived in. Um, they uh, they spent a summer uh, in Austin uh, going to Portuguese class. Uh, I think before they they moved. So, I lived. Apparently, I lived in Austin for a little while, uh, when I, for three months of my life. Um, um, and uh, but no, I think very positive uh, experience. Um, very, you know, it was still 
So it was still a good time to be an American in Brazil. Um, so they're, you know, interacting with a lot of people who'd probably never met Americans. Um, and uh, so the, I think that positivity, then the affiliation that they had with, uh, with, you know, starting a church and, right. you know, reaching out to different folks and having that kind of uh, communal uh, experience and spiritual connections um, have definitely uh, done that. And, and I, you know, I've always, my siblings and I, I think have always uh, talked incredibly positively about that um, just from the standpoint of it being a really cool gift that my parents gave us because exactly. it was exposure to a different culture um, that was completely different than wherever we would have grown, grown up uh, in the States. Yeah. And having that for, for really all four of you sort of being your mm -hmm. starting point. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, your three siblings all born there and then mm -hmm. you, you know, essentially it's your, your first memories. Mm -hmm. um, and we will be right back after this message from our sponsor. This episode of Future of the Fairway podcast is sponsored by Yada Golf. Yada Golf and Fling Golf are a perfect pair. Both value inclusion, encouragement, passion, and being your whole self. Yada Golf has the best line of men's and women's golf shirts you'll find out there. I love the feel and texture of my polos, as well as their eye-catching designs. I'm currently rotating through Vintage King, Light Wave, and Fresh Flavors. And my favorite is whichever one I'm wearing that day. They've got premium polos for those who want to stand out on the golf course, and premium polos for those who want to keep a lower profile. Yada Golf. Master the shirt game, conquer the short game. And now back to the future of the Fairway podcast. So then when you left Brazil, where, where did you move back to? So we moved to Florence, uh, Alabama. I think we were uh, planning to move um, to Newport News where my dad grew up. Um, and different things either didn't work out or it turned out to be better. So we, we actually uh, moved back to Florence um, and, uh, and that's where we ended up growing up. And I went to the same, my siblings and I went to the same school that my mom did. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, now tell me this, like if you remember this, when you moved back, what was the, you know, what was the thing you sort of missed most about Brazil or, or maybe what was the biggest adjustment? Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. a lot of times you think about is, a, is it maybe a kid moving from the U.S. to a foreign country? They take certain mm -hmm. things for granted. You know, do you remember anything when you moved to back to America and you're sort of like, well, this isn't how it should be, or this is great, this is, this is horrible. Like, <laughs> yeah, so let's see, I would have been, we moved back in May of 87. So I had I actually did half of second grade in Brazil, and then we moved back at the end of that school year. So I jumped, I had the summer kind of off and then jumped into to school there. I remember being I, we had you know at one of the going away parties they had for us i remember being tearful and crying and not being able yeah. to stop and being embarrassed because there was a bunch of people looking at me and not looking at me you know looking down at me but like you right. know oh, this is significant yeah. um but then when we got to the u.s i don't I don't remember anything like i i missed um and it's probably just because that was so long ago um I do, I, as I, as I went back and then did that, um, like we had great food growing up. My parent, my grandparents, um, my mom's parents lived in Florence and they had a garden and, um, we always had fresh vegetables. My yeah. 
mom was a great cook. Um, my grandmother uh, was as well. But there's some some foods in Brazil. Um, there's a soft drink called Guaraná um, that is the best soft drink in the world. Um, if you ever go to Atlanta um, and go to the World of Coke Museum, uh, they've got Coca Cola has a brand of that that you can taste. Oh, there. Really? If you go if you go to an international market, uh, most anywhere, you, you, there's a good chance you'll uh, come across uh, Guaraná. That was probably the thing is like that we couldn't get. Not that we had soda a lot um, when we were there, but it was it was definitely something that that wasn't there. But um, you know, we ate a lot of uh, a lot of really good fresh food. Um, yeah. Rice and beans were always with with the meals, oh, yeah. but. I also ate really well growing up, so it's not like I was missing out on it. It was just different stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not like you went from, like, you know, Brazilian rice and beans to something that was just unpalatable. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I went, probably the thing that I would, that looking back in and through middle and high school that I would have said is we lived with my, my mom's parents for the first six to eight months after getting back. And, um, and so my parents were really sensitive to not – want to speak Portuguese around my grandparents as if that might be trying to keep something from them. And yeah. they all had really good relationships. Um, but, uh, but that was a, so we would always kid them. I was like, you know, it's your fault that we don't speak Portuguese because you stopped speaking it to us. They were then able to develop and continue speaking it um, without us having much insight uh, into it. Yeah. Um, so tell me about, uh, so tell me about Al growing up in Alabama then. Cause you were, you're there basically. In, in yeah. Through high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until I went to college. Um, oh, it, it was, uh, it was great. I, um, I forget if it was second or third grade, um, where I was asked the question, who are you for? I was like, I, I don't know. What are you talking about? And it's like, what do you mean? You don't know what you're talking about. Alabama or Auburn. Who are you right, for? Exactly. That's the question. <laughs> and, yeah. and so, um, uh, oh goodness. My, um, the girl I liked in third grade was an Auburn fan. And so I became an Auburn fan um, because of, uh, because of that. And, and it's like, once you make a decision, you can't change no, from can't. that. Exactly. Um, you're, and you're, um, you're locked in. But there is a bit of a fair weather fan uh, aspect that I've had. I think like Alabama won the national championship against Miami in 92. And I don't think I was a true Auburn fan. Cause I was kind of glad that Alabama beat Miami. Um, but then, but then, you know, from that point on, it was like focused on going for Auburn um, until I went to grad school. And I was in, uh, I started in January and uh, I was like, I don't have anything specifically tying me to Auburn other than my third grade crush. And that's <laughs> been like, you know, 20 something years ago, or, you know, 15, 20 years ago, like I'm, I got a good, I, I got a good scholarship and, but I was like, I'm living in Tuscaloosa. I am <laughs> I'm attending classes at the, at the University of Alabama. Um, you know, I'm getting paid by the University of Alabama. Like it's okay if I change, like there's yeah. you know, this pressure to, you know, make a decision and make it for life. It's like, I, I don't have to buy into that. Like I've, I've got the freedom of choice to, <laughs> to make a change. Yeah, no, um, no, I, I, uh, I hundred uh, percent support that because it's it's it comes down to like, you know, there's, you know, it's it's one thing if you grew up as an Auburn fan hating, the crazy, yeah, yeah, but like if you if you if the hatred really wasn't there, then mm-hmm. there's not as much tying you to it, and if there's reasons, it's it's tough to be in that. I feel like if if you're in that location, the location of the enemy, like unless you really hate them, 
it's going to be yeah. hard because there's yeah. just going to be a bunch of forces surrounding it. And yeah. I mean, for me, you know, I grew up in St. Louis and was a fan of their sports teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I spent more of my life in Boston. I became a fan of all their sports teams. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I've had the, you know, the, the, the conflict at times. And I've, I've really mm-hmm. probably leaned more Boston now, especially yeah. um, with football. But that was because like our team left and we got, you know, the, the original yeah. team. Was <laughs> right, right. Bed, like not even the... The, the incarnation I mean, the Rams, the, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but that was sort of, I, I'd already left St. Louis by the time the, the Rams showed up. But, yeah. uh, you know. but I, I, we, um, so I went to a small private Christian school from fourth grade through high school. Um, and I graduated with 56, 57 other people. So we were, we were really tied. It was a really great place to grow up. Um, I, I, because we were small, I got to, play varsity basketball, soccer, uh, run track. Um, I was a, I was on the debate team for a couple of years, uh, scholars bowl. <laughs> Kathy and I were talking through the kids. Uh, they were asking us what, what we did, uh, when we were in school. So, uh, we were kind of going through that just a few years ago, but it was, it was really nice. If I had gone to a bigger school, I probably couldn't have done as much. Right. Um, just because of, you know, you, you have to be a little bit more specialized, uh, from that, but uh, you know, my my soccer team, my sophomore year, uh, finished runner up in the state. Um, wow. Al- Alabama's got six classifications, or oh, seven now, but it was six at the time. And they we were at the lowest one at one A, and they they put one A through five A together. Uh, that so we we got beat by a um, a, a pretty good five A team. A huge, um, t- yeah, huge. That huge you know team. definitely would have been. Uh, it was only. Uh, hit above our weight uh, in a yeah. lot of ways, but uh, really, really good memories. Our basketball team was always competitive, um, and uh, yeah, just really, really fun times. And still, you know, not not connected uh, on a daily basis with my classmates from there. But I went to college with uh, several of them, and so you know, so like you, like it is when you haven't seen people for a while, but you had such a intense time together. You know, growing up in the same grades. Uh, from from that on, it's uh, really really easy to pick up and step back into uh, kind of where we're, but also appreciate uh, different changes that we've made. Yeah. The uh, um, so, what was your favorite sport? Would you say was it soccer when you were in high school? My, my favorite one to play was soccer. Um, yeah. I thought I was I was best at that, and um, uh, we started a team when I was in seventh grade, and we were a JV team that first year, um, and then I played varsity from eighth grade on. Um, yeah, nice. but yeah, it was it was fun and uh, it was great. Um, Do you ever uh, like at the beginning of the, the match, like take your shoes off to be like you know intimidation? Like, oh, you guys play with cleats, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know that. Yeah. that, that never... so we, we generally don't play with cleats, you know. I you know I I didn't have that kind of gumption in me. I was um, <laughs> I think. Uh, I've always done well in the classroom and always had good grades. So there was a part of me that was fearful of being perceived as arrogant. And so like, gotcha. even in a sports manner where, you know, there's that, you know, uh, that aspect of smack talk or, right. you know, trying to um, not falsely puff up yourself, but like do that. I, I was very, very hesitant to, to jump into any of that. Although, I mean, that would have been awesome to, uh, especially for some of the teams we played against. Cause you know, we, we grew up in the same small town. It was about 40, 50,000 people. So right. you know, the guys we were playing against, um, we'd grown up in rec leagues playing against whatever. So yeah, having that 
take starting out um, at our equipment check barefooted would have been pretty fun. So caught me this shot down into zero. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, uh, so fast forwarding a little bit. So so take me at like sort of after uh, after grad school in terms of where you. Mm-hmm. Where, where you went from there? Um, so I'll jump in. So I went to Nashville for undergrad, um, and then I lived in San Antonio for five years. Um, and then from San Antonio, I moved to Tuscaloosa to do okay, so you, you had some time in between. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I was a, a youth pastor for about four and a half years, um, actually at uh, a church that started uh, supporting a sixth family um, in Brazil. So that was the connection that, oh, uh, that we had there. And, uh, and that was great. I loved uh, loved living there, had a really strong network of friends. And um, I moved to San Antonio the same year that Manu Ginobili moved there. Tony Parker had been there for a year. They, it was David Robinson's final year. So yeah. again, it was easy to pick up uh, Good time to be being a, a Spurs, Spurs fan. fan. And, um, yeah, totally. And c- yeah. Continue that. And, you know, times haven't been as great the past couple of years. But again, I, like like with Alabama, I, I think I started grad school three days after Saban was hired. So I'm like, you know what? Alabama football, uh, Spurs basketball could lose every game for the rest of my life. And I, I won't have anything to complain about because I've had some really good, <laughs> good years um, with, uh, with cheering for them. Uh, some heartbreak along the way, right? That both of them, you know, that the first uh, Miami Spurs uh, finals was an incredible heartbreaker. Oh, yeah, um, completely. I mean, you know, they had it all uh, sewn up. And, uh, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's good run. I mean, it's sort of how I feel as a Pats fan, which is like, yeah, yeah. All right. Unfortunately, like you know, the party <laughs> may be over and like, it's just it's never, it's never going to be what it was. And yeah. it could actually be like a barren wasteland for like decades. And <laughs> right. I still have to be okay with it because right. the, last, the last 20 years and yeah. you just have to sort of live in the, mm-hmm. uh, the, live in the memories, you know, sort of like mm-hmm. a, uh, like a Cowboys fan, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice, nice dig. Um, or perpetual Vikings fans. Um, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, time. We never got to the top. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got to grad school in January of 07 um, and was there for two years. Um, and that's where I met Kathy. Uh, we were, both in the English department. So um, linguistics and teaching English as a second language, that program was in the English department alongside literature and um, uh, the MFA program and creative writing and different things like that. So she was doing, uh, working towards a PhD in Renaissance literature uh, at the time. So we met and started, well, we met about a year before we started dating. but it was a very incidental and quick meeting of like our one of the guys that put, would put together a flag football for the English uh, department. So we happened to both be at the game, be at that uh, park at the same time. And right. um, I don't think she remembers me. We've told the story enough that uh, <laughs> she can. And um, but it was about a year later, my last semester, that we had mutual friends who hosted a back to school party. That's where we met and then started dating uh, a month or so after that. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, and the rest is uh, the history, so to speak. It, it, history. Yeah. So I, um, I, I stayed in Tuscaloosa for about six months after I graduated and then took a job with a company uh, that had just started a partnership with James Madison university in Harrisonburg. So 
uh, August of 09, I, I was new to the company. I was new to Harrisonburg, Virginia and new to James Madison. And um, I've been here ever since. Now, have you been working for that for that same company since then? Or? I have, yeah. So I, I um, was initially hired to be the lead instructor for the new center that was bringing in international students uh, who would be studying both language skills and first year credits um, to do that um, at the same time for a semester or two before starting their degree programs full time. So it was kind of a modified freshman year program that we had started. Um, and I became center director like within a week of being hired because our numbers were smaller. So they could only, the other person that was, that was hired, I had some family thing that came up. So I don't know that person's name. I remember seeing it on a piece of paper in the office where we got placed, but they never, they never came. And so I was a center director for about eight years. And then I've had a couple of other roles in um, like a, a regional VP role overseeing some of our, our new university partnerships. And uh, most recently I've worked, worked on the sales and recruitment side of our uh, company for uh, our North American partnerships. Oh, great. Well, that's gotta be, uh, that's gotta be interesting. Now, do you do most stuff remotely or do you travel a lot for that? So I, um, end of, end of 2017, when I, uh, moved away from being a center director into that regional role, um, I started working from home. We had a managing director from North America who was based in Dallas. Um, and we had, our company had had a New York office and she wasn't going to move to New York, um, but was very much like, you know, let's hire people uh, who do good work. And if, you know, if we can promote from within, I want to be committed to that too. And if, if it happens to promote from within and they're not, at a metropolitan area or they can make it work, then that's fine. So it was a really, really good timing. I've got a, a colleague who's based in Maine who I've worked with um, for the past seven or eight years as well. And he started at the University of Maine with our company, um, but he's been remote ever since. So uh, it's been, yeah, it's been really nice and supportive. So when the pandemic hit, I got coworkers. Um, so I'd been working uh, from home for about three years. And then Kathy started working from home and then the kids had school online. So I discovered that I'm a loud talker when I'm on my calls, which my dogs never told me about uh, or seemed bothered by. But, right, um, exactly. Exactly. The, the prior co-workers never had an issue. With that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, the, uh, so you work for a company then that uh, it's a larger company. So it's not just, I guess, is JMU a, a sort of client of theirs and yeah so we've got we've got nine u.s university partnerships and about 25 partnerships in the uk um and then uh, a couple of partnerships in australia and new zealand and so we've got um offices in dubai hong kong singapore uh shanghai beijing several cities in india but we've got on the ground staff who are working with students and then agencies who uh, also have a bar. So like, you know, if you're, I, I like to tell folks, like if we, did, if Latham decided when he got to the end of high school that he wanted to go study um, for a degree in China, then I would be very excited to meet an agency in the U S that speaks Mandarin knows right. the knows the Chinese university system knows what they need to do. And so I would be happy if again, this, that's what you wanted to do. Um, depending on the cost to, right. to pay that agency some money to help with the application process. And that agency would have a connection to either directly with a university or with a company like ours 
to do that. So that's what we do. Um, there, you know, uh, up until the pandemic, China had been the largest sending country of students to oh, the sure. U.S. And so yeah. that's a very mature market from an agency perspective where, you know, up until, you know, the past 10 years when they didn't have enough seats um, at their own uh, universities, uh, it was it was very, very much of interest and um, to go to the U.K. or to the U.S. To, to get a degree and then go back to China uh, for that. Uh, so India's got a large population that's looking for graduate degrees right now. So that's where a lot of our attention and focus is. But, you know, I've traveled to Myanmar and Vietnam and Nigeria, China and Hong Kong um, with the company to promote our, our U.S. university partnerships and try to convince agents that they should direct students our way. Interesting. Yeah. So it's really about sort of recruitment in these in these countries of mm-hmm. that are looking for, you know, placement, so to speak. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and then, you know, effectively sort of an agency to, you know, smooth things over. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and to make sure, you know, make sure that there's, you know, we've got our own, uh, in the U S it's a bit different than our UK partners, but like the admissions process, you know, we've got a team that has, um, a strong background in credential evaluation that knows like, what the Chinese high school system is like. And so they can evaluate that transcript to say, oh, okay, you went to a, a really tough private school in Beijing. Right. So if your GPA is at X and the university requires a 3.0, well, this is an equivalent because of the curriculum that you went through and the focus that you had, the classes well, the, that you took. Yeah, top X percent so, of the class. Exactly, right? We're, we're not, you know, U.S. universities are not um, in a race to the bottom to try to get just bodies in the seats uh right. for that um there's still that uh that evaluation that we take really seriously uh with that but it's you know still an aggressive uh, aggressive market you know try to convince students to go to our part of universities instead of some of the other ones um or you know universities have also um set up shop uh in uh in countries outside the u.s to try to keep that pipeline of recruitment coming through yeah now does does the does your company go the other direction as well if a U.S. student was looking, you see this oftentimes with like graduate school, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. Americans may look to do a graduate school someplace abroad. Or is it more we haven't. It, it's mostly incoming. And I think part of that is, um, you know, U.S. higher ed, um, whether undergraduate or graduate level, has very much been considered uh, a privilege uh, as well as a, an an individual focus, right? If you want to go to college, then you need to figure that out. So right. there's not really companies that exist in the U.S. that have U.S. clientele to get them to those uh, things. Now, I say that, and I immediately thought of um, Aunt Becky from Full House, um, <laughs> who very publicly got in trouble for for Lord paying Lachlan. to get, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for that Lloyd Laughlin. Um, so, but again, that association is very much at like the high end expensive. Like it's, it, it, you would have to have a significant amount of money in order to take advantage of those services like that. Right. But that was also focused on the U S. So I, I don't know of many companies that are doing that, that outbound for that. We, we've looked at that and we, we talk with our university partners about, you know, Hey, we've got this, um, we're at the university of Sheffield uh, as one of the top universities in the world, um, in the UK. And, um, if, you know, Baylor university wants to be connected with them, you know, is there a way that we can work as a mediator uh, for them? Um, 
I, there's not a way for that to be monetized. And I don't know that we would, but that's also the, the people that we're connected with at our universities um, are not always the decision makers on the, those types of arrangements uh, for that. So, um, yeah. And if, I guess if you think about it and I, and I, as I'm sort of thinking this through too, like you're, 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 we have so many, you know, colleges and universities here that mm -hmm. most people, if they're looking for education overseas, unless it's something for something very specific experience, it's more mm -hmm. like a semester mm -hmm. abroad or a year abroad kind of thing, which is, as opposed to like, no, I'm just trying to go to this university as a full-time student for, for four years or for a mm -hmm. graduate degree. And, you know, because for most people, it's, it's unless there's a reason, why wouldn't you just find one of the thousands that we have in this country um, you know, if you're looking for a six month experience or your experience, yeah, it's a yeah. totally different thing. And there, there may be a business there, but you're probably just not going to, there's just such a supply of colleges and universities here. that it's Yeah. I mean, we've got, there, there's varying stats, but I think it's fair to say we've got around or over 4,000 institutions of higher education in the U S yeah. you look in, the, in, in the UK and there's maybe 200, 250. Right. So then you start talking about like a, well, what's a, top 25 university in the UK. Well, you know, top 25 out of 200, is not bad. Like if you're top 25 out of 4,000, like that's a, a very finite thing. So, you know, there's a, there's a segment of us universities that a company like ours is probably never going to get to work with. Right. Harvard doesn't need our company <laughs> to, to recruit, they're, right? right. They're, they're very much on the other end they're, of they're, like- They're just sitting back and- Exactly. There are certain universities that don't recruit. Now, some some of the top ones will for certain for certain programs or certain things, and they'll, they'll get out there and participate. Um, but yeah, you know, your Ivy Leagues or your public Ivies like UVA or Michigan or UCLA, uh, Ohio State, colleges like that, you know, there's- their need is not necessarily in application volume and recruitment. It's more of like they need, you know, to find out, all right, how do we take this, you know, this crop of applicants that are right. all so good? What do we do? It, you know, there's not a, a clean way to, to make that. So I, I don't, I don't envy those, but there's also a, a limited perspective on, um, on our possible uh, clientele and, and partnerships. Yeah, no, that, that, uh, that makes sense. Um, hey, so, uh, so bringing it, I want to get into, uh, or we'll eventually get to fling golf as well, but uh, <laughs> uh, we will, we will uh, certainly, but uh, I want to go back really to the origins, not only this podcast, which is, is really, mm -hmm. you, know, you got to go back to the one you did with your, um, was it was it college friends or high school? Yeah, it was college friends, and then I actually I, I, I added a couple of folks that were that I knew around uh, around Harrisonburg. Um, so tell me how sort of that got got started. Like, was it uh, was it your it, idea initially, or it was together? Was it um, I, a reunion or something like that? Or? So we, I think it was it was twenty eighteen end of twenty eighteen, um, which. I guess would have been about 20 years after I started college. So I started college in fall of 98. Um, and, you know, we, friends and I had been keeping up through Facebook um, or other times that we would see each other. Um, uh, and 
I would have like, you know, conversations uh, through chat or message with certain folks and um, then other chats with other people. And I, I thought, man, I would, there's a, there's a couple of friends um, that would be really fun to talk to and just have a conversation with and do that. And I, I started listening to podcasts in, I think 2005 wow. uh, because I was a big fan of lost and I love the show and will defend the show um, against any comers. I think it's one of the best TV shows ever made. Um, but one of the things that was so fun about it was uh, the showrunners, uh, Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof yep. started hosting a podcast on when, and they would release it on Wednesdays. I think this is, back is in 05. this is back in 05. So this was like really new to iTunes. It was, uh, they would, you know, I think they just tried it and they were, they were modeling out fan engagement. Um, so away from message boards, but they're like, we want to control or, or have an input on the narrative of what's happening or not happening in the show. And they're obviously incredibly creative and okay. very funny. And so there was sometimes bring on the actors to talk about, you know, if it was uh, an episode that was fo focused on Jack or Kate or, or Sawyer or whatever it was, they would bring them on and feature them. Uh, they would talk about their script writing process and just kind of give behind the scenes nuggets and, and, but they also play into like, what does this mean? And, uh, and so that just became a fun part of, you know, when I was, you know, reading or not, not doing stuff, I would, I would put that on. And so I was like, man, I really, really enjoy this medium. Um, and then I became uh, a big fan of Bill Simmons and his podcasts yep. and his networks. And so that, that probably carried me through the original one. And, um, and again, that was, again, it's a great time to be a Spurs fan. There was, almost always uh, some Spurs or Spurs adjacent content in the sports world when the NBA season was going on. But then I, I just started liking the, um, the different iterations of the, of his podcast and the different networks that he set up first with ESPN. And then um, uh, through, um, oh, what was this venture that was ESPN adjacent before the river? Uh, yeah. Before the uh, Grantland. Grantland, which was uh, fantastic. So, it was great, yeah. No, I mean, it was really good. It was, it was lovely reading those articles, but also loved listening when he would bring on, uh, you know, his writers and they would talk through the different stuff. So that really uh, was a, a solid through line uh, for me. Um, and and so yeah, I thought, well, yeah, he's one of those guys that really sort of popularized podcasts. Like she was sort of doing it before they became cool. Well, and, and to, I didn't even know the the, the lost one because I mean that's like right when the show, right around the time the show was only like in its first or second season. And I and I was I'm yeah. a huge Lost fan, and yeah. I mean I got to go back and see that. I I'm, I'm just wondering why. I know podcasts weren't really a big thing back then, but I think I think it was also interesting that because a lot of people don't sort of get that sort of distinction between like creators and showrunners. Yeah, I yeah. Think at that time, certainly like 05, like everyone would be like, Lost, that's J.J. Abrams. And like, right, right. Because he did the pilot. Lindelof and Cuse were like the showrunners. And like, they were the ones really like, you know, J.J. Abrams like sort of launched the thing and then yeah, moved on yeah. to other things. And like nothing against J.J. Abrams. You guys no, absolutely right. He he directed it, helped create it with Lindelof, but he was like, "I'm off to other things." And exactly. Lindelof, like, and "This is my baby." They're running with this thing day in day out, creating yeah. this you know crazy mythology and you know mm -hmm. character development. And uh, um, yeah, no, I, I got to check that out. In fact, I, I, at some point, I got to do a rewatch too. It, it would be fun to listen to those again because yeah. 
just because it was, it was a new medium. And, yeah. um, and one of the interesting things that uh, I think Simmons brought to it was, and this was, I think not the only thing for his ESPN separation, but like to his credit, he saw that there were revenue streams and podcasts that were not being tapped into. Like, yeah. you know, when he was doing most of his, there were no commercials right. and, and he was, he would go to the ESPN folks and say, Hey, you know, can't, why can't, you know, make Subway a presenter. And so they, they would do that as a portion of Subway's overall contract with ESPN. But like he was like, no, 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 like we can sell 30 seconds, 60 second ads within the podcast and make it self-sustaining or just bring in additional revenue. And they're like, oh, that's going to be too much. You know, we've got a real clear contracts about uh, advertisement and whatnot. And I appreciate that when you're, when you're a juggernaut like that and that's a new thing that, that makes it tough. But I think that he was the, as far as I'm aware, really the first one to start making uh, really good revenue off of the podcast and, and flip that model so that when I started listening to other podcasts, I'm like, oh yeah, they advertise on um, Grantland or they, they advertise on The Ringer uh, or, or other places like that. Which, yeah, um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to think where we are now. And then, <laughs> you know, I think it was, it was big, um, uh, you know, before the pandemic and it was, you know, they were, you know, certainly Barstool had, you know, huge, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Um, huge podcast properties. But then, like the pandemic, it went, you know, stratospheric because, oh yeah, so, especially yeah. within like the entertainment podcast. Yes, so yeah. many there, like, you know, actors that you know effectively weren't doing anything. And right, it was right. Like, well, podcast, I can fire that thing up. Yeah, you know, can do that. Give me, give me forty-eight <laughs> hours and fire that thing I mean, up. And I can in in a lot of ways, like Fling Golf, there there's not much of a runway, right? Yeah. So in 2018, what I did is I bought an app that a that I would that was basically a voice recording, uh, a phone recording app. So I would use my cell phone, right. plug in my uh, plug in my headphones, and uh, I would call somebody. I would record that, and then yeah. I was using the same platform, Anchor.fm, to edit whatever little editing I did that I'm still using now. Um, But I was like, you know, the quality wasn't great, but again, it was for like, Hey, I'm going to talk to um, uh, my buddy from college who um, he was a student assistant coach with our basketball team. Um, And then he transferred, I think after my first year went to Eastern Kentucky, had a chance to go be a student assistant at um, UK um, but like, didn't like the dynamic at all. And the Mount, uh, the Hilltoppers, uh, Eastern Kentucky upset, uh, university of Kentucky, like sometime in 99, 2000. And so we were watching ESPN. We're like, there's JT, there's JT. Like he's jumping on the sidelines with, um, with that. And so I was like, you know, I see JT's now in, uh, I think he's in Louisville, uh, or Lexington, but doing some really cool stuff. He adopted a couple of kids, um, from uh, from I think Kenya um, or Ghana, um, but anyway, I was like, yeah, what's going on? Like his, he married a doctor. She's an amazing pediatrician. Yeah, what what is this? Uh, what is the story? So it was fun to you know connect with him and right. with other folks and just find out like, hey, we were in college together for some as little as one or two years, or some as much as four years, like. Let's do a recap. What's been happening? And so it was really fun for me just to connect with folks. But I thought, I bet there would be other people in our friend group uh, or friend group adjacent that would find this interesting. And um, it's now it's fun. And I did a did a run of, I think I did nine or ten episodes. Um, and 
and then I kind of I got a I had some move responsibilities at work and kind of took the wind out of my sails for <laughs> for doing that. Um, and, but I did a um, I did kind of a version of that for work. Uh, we had some uh, we were looking to try to uh, do some uh, team building stuff virtually because we're a global company, and so I started interviewing some of my colleagues that I knew and some that I didn't, and that would put that on our internal. Uh, right. Uh, distribution stuff. Um, so I've kind of been playing with that and have always loved talking to people and um, thought it would be fantastic to be able to find a way to to do podcasting or interviewing um, as a primary thing. I don't know that I'm going to get there, but it's still fun to think about. I mean, it's still fun oh, to do. Sure. It's definitely yeah, a labor I mean, of love. You, to... you never know when you're, you're, you're right. great at it. And then, then that, the other the thing is, is that, and that's the interesting thing about the podcast is, is that it just allows you to dive deeper and because it's just you know audio does not require a huge amount of production you can have these long-form conversations where you actually Mm -hmm. substance where when you think about it the amount you learn on a podcast just about different people is even people you may know where you've yeah yeah a bunch of conversations but there were you know there were conversations about whatever's going on or it wasn't just Mm -hmm. sit down and, and talk about you know you know, their, you know, where they grew up or mm-hmm. you know, what's going on in their life and that, that kind of stuff. You just, you can't get that. Certainly off of an interview, you can't get that off of a, a five minute interview. You know, an agenda. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. one of the things I also love is like, and this is a prime example of this, it's sort of like this, having a conversation and letting it go where it goes as mm-hmm. opposed mm-hmm. to we've got to cover Rex, Y, and Z. Because that feels right, like an right. interview. And yeah. as opposed to let's just let's talk about things and, and mm-hmm. see where the conversation goes, and then that's oftentimes where the most interesting stuff comes out. Yeah, I so the um, you and I have talked about this a little bit. Um, the conversation with Britt um, was a lot of fun on a lot of levels, but right before we started recording, um, we were talking about the podcast that ACGC had done for a little bit in 2017, right. 2018. Um, and so when we when we started recording and I, I said, Hey, how's it going? I kind of thought we would reference back to that. And instead Britt was like, Oh, I'm doing well. Um, kind of tired. I just got back from a music concert. It's so like, she threw that out like without any prep, which was, which was great. Cause then we went down this, uh, this trail of talking about music, talking about pop culture, about the TV shows we watched. And yeah. it was super fun. And, uh, obviously unscripted, um, but also a, a surprise in how it went and how it was going. Cause I was kind of like, Oh yeah, we're going to, cause I did, I think I did come back to talk about that podcast a little bit with them, at least the recorded part, or maybe it was not recorded, but um, for me, even in the moment it, it can change like yeah. that, oh, uh, no, which totally. was, uh, which is really cool. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, you got it. You got to go down like, you know, side, you know, alleys and side. Mm-hmm, to, uh, um, like the whole thing of loss. In fact, I, I gotta, I gotta ask you. Like, so as a big loss fan, what is your, what was your feelings about the last episode? Because it's, you know, it's one of those. Yeah, yeah. Guys, it's very controversial. It. Um. So I, I think I was primed because I was listening to the podcast that. And, and, and Q's and Lindelof did some publicity towards this, but like there was always this um, this view of like, oh, they don't know what they're doing. They're just making it up as they go. 
versus, oh no, there's a master plan. And I think at different times they would say different things, right? They would have like a plan for the season. It wouldn't be specific, but there would be like notes that you want to hit when you're, you know, creating a TV show. I guess I've never created a TV show. Um, So from that standpoint, you could say, oh yeah, we've got a plan. But you could also say, oh no, we don't know what we're doing because we're going to kind of let the story guide us, right? You've heard, you've probably heard authors talk about, you know, hey, I've come up with this character. I'm just going to see what, I'm just going to start writing to see what the character does. That's kind of weird sometimes. Here's like, well, you're the one writing. Don't you know what the character is going to do? But, you know, there's in that creative process, there's a bit. So I, long-winded way to say, I was very much of the mindset that this is the story that they're shepherding and wherever they think it's going to land is probably where it should land. And there's going to be an element of that that I'm going to appreciate because of everything that's gone into it. And and maybe it's not going to be satisfying. Maybe not all the questions are going to be answered, but I think it's going to be fun. And I was coming to lost because there was, it was a lot of fun. It was very well done. It was compelling story-making. And there were parts in there that were making you think things about bigger questions about life or being a human or being a person or relationships that you didn't always find in TV shows and they were fun, but like that wasn't the point necessarily. It was like, we're going to take you on a ride. Right. And so like, you know what? I am in for this ride. And if you land it in Des Moines versus LA or whatever that is, I, it's going to have been fun. Um, so Kathy and I were actually on our honeymoon when the finale aired. Yeah. So um, we had gone, we got married in March and we went down to stand for a couple of nights because it was the middle of the semester. So we didn't go out. We went to the Dominican Republic um, to a, a great little place um, for like a week. And so it happened to be like when we booked it, I didn't realize that, but the, the finale was going to be happening. So that was a, a big question for us. Like, well, what are we going to do? Like, we'll, <laughs> we're, we're, the way we're saying then did that. And unfortunately, they had the New York uh, ABC station. So we were able to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're like, yeah, you, I, I can't have tuned in every episode and then <laughs> right, all of a right. not to see the finale and then have it spoiled by some random person mm-hmm, in, a, mm-hmm. you know, in a cafe, like mentioning, you know, what happened. Um, and so th- to say a little bit of how nerdy we are, like they're somewhere, I don't know that we still have them because I don't think we ever shared or uploaded them, but like on a digital camera, we recreated some of our favorite moments of Lost. Um so, you so, know, so just around the picture because that's what you. Yeah, you can't tease well, that without. Uh, I, well, I we it was our some of our favorite moments that we felt we could try to recreate. So one of the ones was, I forget if somebody had died or something. We said I was on the on one of the walkways outside of our hotel room and had gotten ketchup and had put it off of my mouth. Like I think it was near the end uh, when they were doing the time hop and some people would, you know, die and they would have that bleeding. So I forget who it was that I was doing. Uh, We would, uh, I think, you know, um, recreate some of our favorite lines. I don't know if we ever did um, not Penny's boat, Um, but like, you know, we have to go back. We have to go back. (laughs) Were some of the ones that we, we did. Um, Yeah, no. uh, uh, um, Yeah. I mean, Personally, like my, I had a similar reaction to the finale as well, which is like, you know, I, I, I think I'd made peace with the fact that like, they're never going to answer all the questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of the, I remember this is like, you know, halfway through it. Uh, I hadn't seen like the, 
the season finale and I asked him, I'm like, oh, is it good? Like, 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 do they answer the question? Like, what do they answer? I'm like, oh, they, well, they answer some stuff, but then they, they pose four more questions that exactly. <laughs> right. Know, just, right. just digs deep. So you figure out, you, you know, you just, you don't even know half of what you thought, you knew. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, for me, I, I was certainly satisfied with it. Um, you know, I thought it was uh, a good way to wrap it up. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it had, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it was as good as ending as I could have hoped for. And mm -hmm. plenty of series that, that end on a, uh, you know, a much worse, um, in a much worse place. And I think, mm -hmm. I think also with that show, it was, it was certainly a, you know, it was old time sort of major network, 24 episodes a season, which if that show were to be made, it would not have been as many episodes. And no, no. I mean, they would have been I doing think, like maybe you know, 10 episodes a season, but probably exactly, like six to probably, eight. Yeah, probably exactly. So probably ha half, if not a, just a third of the episodes, mm -hmm. which I think would have served it well in the sort of mid to later episodes mm -hmm. where I feel like they, they, they drag, they would drag things out a little too much. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And but it, I, I do feel like the old network model, they it served them well at the beginning because of the fact that you could do that deep character, you know, um, development. Well, I mean, what other show? Yeah, whatever that, show. That's what hooked me. It's like, you, yeah, you're, you're on this journey, this arc, but it's the fact that you go into each of, you know, the flashbacks for each of these characters and then you find right. them interrelated. And, and yeah. um, that was really what, what, what got me. I mean, what other show was putting, you know, uh, one putting subtitles so that you had a couple that was speaking Korean only, and oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Or they weren't speaking broken English at least in the beginning. But that surprise of like, who's it going to be this week? Who who right. are they going to? Who's going to? Who's going to be the flashback? And the um, dive on. Yeah. And, and so yeah, if it, if it were made today, I don't know how many of that would be, which would take away some of that luster early on of like right. you know, there's so much here. Um, but I also think that they would have been able to, to find uh, find a good way to um, to do that. But yeah, that was one of the hallmarks I thought of. Just you had such a large, expansive cast, and you were able to give attention to almost everybody. You know, some more than others, but that was that was really fun. Uh, really, a really fun time. And we will be right back after this message from our sponsor. And now back to the future of the Fairway Podcast. Um, so, uh, so moving on, on to sort of fling off, um, yeah. so the, well, let's talk a little bit about your fling off origin story. I've, I've heard it in okay. different pieces here and there, but mm -hmm. then, and then maybe quickly get to the, the, uh, the, the podcast. Cause, uh, mm -hmm. we're bridging that gap from, uh, from your yeah. first podcast you did to this one. Mm -hmm. um, but let's talk about the, when, how you were introduced to fling off. Yeah. So, um, so through the pandemic, um, we, we we didn't get out much, um, and when we did get out, we would go to the uh, Jamie Arboretum, uh, which is pretty close to our house and has uh, several miles of walking trails. And so that was always good for us to get out. And you know, whether it was cold or hot or whatever, we could uh, get outside, get away from our neighborhood, uh, but feel like we could be distanced uh, from folks without um, you know coming in contact with with other people or whatnot. So that was really good. But we've been doing that for a while, and so by April of twenty one. Um, we're like, okay, it's warming up a bit. Uh, are there other places farther than <laughs> the Arboretum that we could go and, right. you know, hike or, you know, rent some bikes or take our kids' bikes and we would rent them, you know, find something to do. 
So um, we've got a couple of resources, as folks know. Massanutten is about 20 minutes from where we live. Uh, but there's another resort called Bryce Resort that's about 45 minutes away. Yep. And we, I had never been there. We had never been there as a family. So I just went to their website and was trying to see, okay, what do they have? Like, I know they've got skiing, um, but this would have been April. So that would have been an option. Um, and I was just going through their different, uh, their different tabs to see what they had. And on, they had some place on their website that said other. And so I clicked on it and there were two options. And I forget what, and one of them was fling off. Um, I thought, well, what's, what, what is that? Um, so I clicked on it and they talked about renting fling sticks. Uh, I think they had a link to the website. Um, and I was like, well, this could, this could be fun. Because, I mean, you know, the videos uh, like showed folks at our age, but showing little kids doing that. Um, Kathy had grown up uh, playing golf with her granddad. Um, she and her siblings, and she had some first cousins that lived in Fort Wayne. Um, and her, her mom's dad would take them golfing every now and then they would walk. Uh, but so she, she had that background, hadn't played in a while. Um, when her parents had their, um, 45th wedding anniversary, they took all of us on a Disney cruise. Uh, so this would have been summer of 2019 and, uh, her dad, um, my brother-in-law, her brother, and then my other brother-in-law, her sister's husband, uh, had a foursome so to play golf when we uh, stopped in, um, I think it was Mexico. Um, I hadn't played golf in probably eight or 10 years and I was never, never good. Um, and I very, I, I had gone to the driving range a couple of times, um, but I don't have my own clubs. Um, so I would rent a club. I would hit a little bit in the weeks leading up to the, to the cruise, knowing that my brother-in-law, uh, Kathy's brother's a pretty good golfer. Uh, her dad's pretty good. And Chris, um, is is pretty good as well and so um i was like man i am definitely going to be the worst uh, i don't like being the worst at stuff but um like th there's just no way to quickly get a good exactly. golf swing or yeah. whatnot right so we went we played uh we played a scramble i was with uh, david uh kathy's uh, brother and we played against her dad and uh and chris and um it was pretty close but like Every shot, like David's a pretty good golfer. He's probably a 12, 14 handicap, but like we always hit it from his ball, which was fine. Like yeah. a lot of times mine wasn't making it off the tee or right. whatnot. So when I was looking at fling golf in 2021, I was like, huh, like I can, I can probably do this uh, or at least try it. And, you know, there'll be golf carts. So the kids will probably be okay, even if they don't like playing. Um, but we had not looked at in detail at any of the video. So we get, we get to Bryce going with the sticks. We get the golf carts. We get on the first tee and thankfully there's nobody around. Um, but Latham starts swinging it around like a baseball bat. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I could very much see, um, a ball going straight into Gwendolyn's face or to, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> to me or Kathy or whatnot. And I was like, we are all going to throw Tomahawk style. Yep. And, um, and Kathy and the kids will gladly tell anybody that, you know, when we first played, dad made us all throw that way because <laughs> he didn't want anything else to happen. And so we didn't even know that we could throw other ways, um, until actually we went out the next weekend and in between we did go through and look at the videos and see, oh, okay, there's different ways to do this. So maybe we'll go to the driving range first, um, I will say about Bryce's setup, their first nine holes are kind of back in their resort. Their driving range is actually at the front. So 
it, it didn't make sense for us to take the golf carts and go all the way to the front because we we had never been right. there to practice. We were like, we'll just get out there. We'll just get out there. Um, no, and, and you got to go with the, I mean, Tomahawk can be a little extreme, but you got to go with the overhand start. Yeah. And so, I, you know, anyway, we went and, and even despite the fact that I made everybody throw Tomahawk style, we all had a good time. Yeah. And, um, my hamstring was sore because of the way I was releasing and like holding that, um, which was weird to think that a hamstring was going to be sore after playing <laughs> golf, especially now knowing the different ways to throw. But, um, but we had such a good time uh, that we looked it up in Massanutten and rented sticks as well. And so we're like, well, let's do that. So we went out back to back weekends at uh, the beginning of May um, and uh, had a good time. And th- about that time, I don't know if that's when we found the players group page on Facebook. Um, it must've been because then we got alerted that uh, the Shark Tank episode was going to air end of May. Yeah. So it was like early 2021. Cause it really, yeah, the players yeah. group had just sort of launched at that point in time. Yeah. So we were, we were really excited that like, Oh, Hey, so <laughs> we started playing right before the Shark Tank episode. Yeah. So there was a, just a slight, slight, um, gap in between that but then when we started going out later it made it really easy when people would you know look at us was like oh this is on shark tank they gave it credibility and legitimacy um in a lot of ways and um and then that father's day so june of 21 um kathy's like let's um for father's day we'll just get fling six for everybody as your gift i'm like absolutely (laughs) let's let's do this because there's uh heritage oaks um is the city course in harrisonburg and that's right next to where the kids go to school, but they don't rent sticks. So like we can never go and play there. And I thought, well, it'd be nice to, to be able to play, not be restricted by only going where we could rent. Um, But I also said, um, I don't want to buy sticks just because I played twice and had fun. Let's, let's try it out a little bit more to make sure that, you know, we this really isn't going to be, the sport yeah, it's not going to be something that's just, we're going to get, and then it's going to hang out in the garage and we're like, Oh yeah, we could do that. Um, right. So we did. And then, um, so the company that I work for, Study Group, um, we had we'd been given a whole bunch of um, additional COVID time. Um, but we were also, I think in 2021, like working on, like everybody had been reduced to 90% uh, salary. And so they were making that up by having off days. Gotcha. So um, starting from August, I mostly had, I ended up taking between that that leave and then vacation that I needed to burn, I would take it every Friday off. And at least half of those, I went out and played somewhere um, and had just a whole lot of fun. I remember the very first time I went to Massanutten by myself to play 18 holes. Like I, I never played 18 holes by myself and I was so nervous about getting paired up with somebody or like I would go through and look for available times where, all four spots were open and there was gaps before and after. Cause I was like, I don't want anybody to see me yeah, out I here with right. this. Right. I, I, I want to, I want to try to get good at this, but I also very much don't want anybody watching me. But that, that was really, really cool and really fun. And, and we would still go out uh, the four of us uh, when we could, or sometimes I go out with Latham or Gwendolyn. Um, and, uh, and that made it a lot of fun. Um, so, when, you know, come, come around to 2022, when uh, the announcement about the tournament came up, I was like, well, and, and, and the fact that ESPN was going to be filming, I was like, right. well, that, that's awesome. Like, here's something that 
it's still new for everybody. So like, I don't know how good or not good I am comparatively. You know, I was watching Sonny's videos and Ken's videos. I was like, okay, those guys that, you know, you know, seeing people post scorecards, it's like, yeah, but I don't know what teams they're playing from or, you know, is that like, are you counting every stroke? Are you kind of, yeah, maybe I, because when I'd be out there, I'm like, sure, I, I lived that one out, but it really would have gone in. So I'll, I'll put a five instead of a six. Um, right. You know, so I was like, it'd be fun to kind of, uh, to participate, to possibly get on ESPN and, uh, and then meet a whole bunch of people who I had started watching and following on, on Facebook. Um, and so we went to, all four of us went to Delaware um, we got in on Friday evening. Um, I went to the the event that night. Um, that's where I met you, met Al, and met yep. Steve, and and some of the other guys, um, which was a lot of fun. But I, I didn't didn't play on the course or really see that until until we'd gotten there. Um, but you know, I uh, I did well. Or, yeah, you no, know, I mean, obviously left shots on the on the course like like everybody would have. But um, I felt good. I, I thought you know, if I can be middle of the pack. Um, I'll, I'll be pretty good. Um, and, and I, I thought, well, after the, after the, uh, the Saturday round, I was like, well, I, you know, if I have a, if I catch it really good, I might have a chance on longest fling to be, you know, top five, maybe top 10. And, uh, so that was a lot of fun to, uh, to do that and have Lathan participate as well. Um, yeah, no, I, I, uh, how you registering Lathan, I thought was, was fantastic. And, uh, cause, uh, you know, just something for him to, to build up to something, yeah. just to, just to compete. And yeah, you know, it's a, uh, cause it's, you know, it could be a disconcerting thing and especially, you know, his age, but like you're, Oh yeah. Well, it, it's it, the it, end part that it's actually being filmed out it, of it, just from a crowd of people like that. It, it was very selfish on my part. Cause I was like, look, I, I, I may or may not get on ESPN, but like, <laughs> I doubt that there's going to be another, uh, 10 year old register for this, uh, for this event. And so right. they would definitely at least have a clip of him on there. Um, and it, it obviously a lot of fun getting to meet, meet everybody. And so I, I walked away from that weekend with a couple of thoughts. Um, one was, well, I want to, I want to do a tournament in Virginia because I think we've got some great courses. And if this is just starting and then it gets big, then let's get out, get out early to, to do a tournament. Um, but it was also really fun talking to everybody. And because I had done the podcast uh, with friends earlier and knew what it required, but that it wasn't too much of a build, I was like, well, right. it'd be really cool to interview, you know, the top finishers, to interview you and Steve and Alex um, and possibly do that and have that roll out after the episode aired on uh, ESPN just to be something else uh, that, you know, if people found phone golf, then like maybe there's something else that could keep them invested or finding out about the sport. Um, and, and just knowing from a, from a curiosity standpoint of people, I knew there were folks that had wanted to go to Delaware, but couldn't. Um, and so didn't get to have those experiences of talking with, uh, with people like Brooks and Ken and, and Austin and, um, you know, all the others that uh, they've got to chat with through the, through the beginning and um, I thought I think there'll be there'll be some interest uh, in doing that, but like you know personally, it'd be fun just to to chat with yeah, them. So, yeah. um, and so I, you know, I, I ran that by by Alex and um, and then you know reached out to some folks and I, I knew that you know I, I'd met several of them um, 
when I was in Delaware. So it wasn't like a complete cold call uh, or email, but it was still like, you know, I was like, I got to really put in some stuff behind this. So it's not just some random guy. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. You know, to, to give it some kind of context for that. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I totally get that. I mean, I, I, you know, turning the tables today, like I've got the you know benefit of, 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 having known you pretty well for the, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. the last, uh, you know, nine months to a year, as well as like listening to other podcasts where you get little information. Here oh yeah. Time. You feel like you're so familiar with people. Like I, I, yeah. I love I, smartless, uh, with, um, Great that, Jason Bateman and, uh, Sean Hayes. Like, I feel like I could, I would love to be a guest. Cause I feel like I know those guys <laughs> so <laughs> well. I, could them, like, you know. I would never be selected to be. <laughs> like they wanted to episode two thousand and sure, sure, sure. But it's um, it, but it's fun because you know their approach, and, and it's similar to Bill Simmons's approach, which Simmons clearly would say, like I, I haven't prepped, like I haven't even looked at IMDb if he's got an actor coming, or maybe he'll he'll glance at that. But he he very much wants the conversation to to kind of go where it goes yeah. and see see what comes up. Uh, so there's maybe a little bit of prep that uh, he's done, the more he's done it. But after you get a few episodes in, you kind of get a rhythm of talking to people. And, you know, if you get a couple of nuggets here to throw out, to you know, to lead or to at least find out more about, um, you can do that. And I, I will say too, the um, so Bill Simmons um, is referred to as the podfather <laughs> specifically by Jalen Rose. So uh, when they were back at ESPN, that was one of his guests and uh, they worked together really closely. And, um, and, uh, and so Jalen would, uh, would refer to Bill as the podfather. And so Simmons would take that and be like, well, since Jalen Rose says that, then I feel like I can, (laughs) I can say that. So when, um, when looking for uh, a nickname, I was like, well, I'm not in any way the, the originator of any podcast, uh, for um you know as far as first in the meeting or whatnot but that'll be a fun thing at least within, within fling golf this you know this has been the first uh, fling golf podcast um hopefully not the the last or, or the only um but I'll, I'll 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 give that as a nod to uh one of the people that i first listened to and uh really really enjoyed uh falling in love with podcasts based on on that network no and that's and that's the whole thing and that's what we were trying to get to with you know the sort of nicknames and really it's almost like the handle, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, in some cases it's the brand as well as that it doesn't, this doesn't have to be something that like you, you're the nickname you, you know, that people called you when you were growing up or that you've been yeah, like, yeah. last like 20 years. Like if you have one and it's interesting and that's, that's fantastic, but it's just gotta be, it's gotta be fun, but it doesn't have to necessarily be unique. You know, right, right. there's other people, you know, the, the, you know, like big cat, like big cat's been called big cat forever, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like, there's like, you know, there's other big cats out there. Like, you right. Know, right. Like, you know, from Barstool. In fact, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Funny, funny aside from the ESPN thing, that was like one of their few notes where like, well, oh, really? We, yeah, no, they basically, it was, it was the nicknames and like one of them was, they had two, they had. Mm-hmm. So uh, Lucky Jack's like original nickname was mm-hmm. Irish Twin in deference yeah. to his sister who had passed away. And and I sort of saw that. I'm like, I'm like, we're going to go with it. But sure. back. and they eventually did. They didn't at first, but then they eventually mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. OK, I, I guess, you know, he's Irish. And like, if anything, yeah, he's yeah. going to be offended. But I, I could see it where they're going to, yeah. you know, they're going to push mm-hmm. back on that. But then. 
uh, so anyway, we, we, we literally within 24 hours, we, we changed his nickname and, uh, it, and it worked out great. And like, I think Lucky Jack's actually a fantastic one. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Heritage. Um, we certainly made a point on the program of, of pointing out that he was sort of playing in honor of his sister. Cause we, we didn't want that part to be, to be lost. But the other funny one was Big Cat and like, they're like, well, there could be some, you know, confusion with barstool big cat and you know, mm-hmm. uh, it not quite a, a, a messy separation but but uh, right uh, right it was we there's history there and i, I sort of said mm-hmm. Look, mm-hmm. it's you know he's been called big cat for for years he's mm-hmm. been called big cat since before anyone knew about like the other big cat like there's just there's no there's no chance of any confusion and right, right. it'd be great if there was confusion but like sure yeah that's i'm like i'm like look this is a you know, this is not a, you know, nickname we made up for him uh, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. three weeks ago. Like he's, as long as we've known him, it's been, it's Mike's been going mm-hmm. to the cat. So that was like, this is the hill we're going to die on. And uh, <laughs> so like, oh, let me run it up the flagpole. I'm like, I'm like, you, there's only one answer to this. Cause that's, that's, and, and they, they did the right thing. And yeah. They, yeah. They allowed that. But, uh, but it's funny. And we were talking about the other day, like the, the notes that we got so few notes, but they were, a lot of them were around nicknames. But yeah. other than the Irish twin one, they were not for the ones we necessarily uh, expected. How funny. How funny. Um, but uh, yeah, so anyway, like back to the original point of like uh, uh, Podfather, I think is a, is a, is a great nickname. And, uh, <laughs> no, I think we've got some good nicknames, although it is mm-hmm. funny because like getting that off the ground, some people had natural ones, but a lot mm-hmm. of people's mm-hmm. first attempt, it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, we're looking for more of like, descriptive and persona kind of thing it's not exactly. like you know yeah. your yeah. name's you know ken and you go with kenny as your nickname like no like, mm-hmm. that's not, mm-hmm. it's not a nickname so to speak like it's got to be you know if you have to make one up make one up and you know as uh as jay lewis found out like if you don't make one up they may want make one up for you <laughs> <laughs> if you ask them to right right you know, right or, so uh you know uh uh but uh, but i think it's it's grown and i think a lot of people have been embrace mm-hmm. I think we've got yeah. that's the, the whole idea is like what we want to portray is that uh, mm-hmm. you know we have fun we have fun with this stuff you know? absolutely it makes the the rivalries the you know camaraderie and the smack talking uh, that much better and yeah. you know certainly with with social media where people can go with this it's uh um it's mm-hmm. great so like those those things are here to stay so yeah yeah you know no reason for anyone out there you can't you can come up with them on the spot you can you can that's right that's you can right. change them as as you mm-hmm. know uh, as you wish, but, uh, but whatever sticks is probably going to stick. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There, yeah, there's, there's enough of a, of a solid core, I guess now of folks yeah. with nicknames that, uh, you know, I, yeah, don't, don't put any pressure to, uh, to get one, but, um, you know, if you're not, if you're not first with it, then, uh, it may be left to, to somebody else that you, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you start have a with. really unique first name, like you or last yeah, name, yeah. Yeah. you, you, uh, uh, you'll be well served by uh, by mm-hmm. um, the other thing I, I do feel like was was really good about the timing of the podcast. I mean, I mean, first of all, for from our perspective, it was as you said before, it's it's just it's it's this deep dive of information, and like it was such a such a godsend for us because what the people that however they find out about fling off, and there's a lot more ways for them to find out about it. Mm-hmm. When people jump in, a lot of times they really want to jump in deep. And they're like, you know, the number mm-hmm. of people would be like, oh my gosh, like I didn't know about this, 
you know, a week ago. And now I've like read like every page on your website and like, we filled it out a lot. So it's got like a lot of mm-hmm, content. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, with the podcast, it's like, well, here's, here's hours and hours of content. <laughs> right, our, right. You know, top players and other influencers around the game. And you can really jump in. And mm-hmm. so if you, you know, if you can't get enough, if you want the, you know, the, the fire hose, so to speak, here it is. Um, yeah, yeah. Same with having like, you know, videos that have, you know, stuff that's been on TV, like the Shark Tank mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ESPN. But like, that's, that's this other sort of, you know, wealth of, of, of content that is just, is fantastic for us. And, you know, um, that's why we just, we want you to keep it going. And I know it's like mm-hmm. when we got to the uh, you know end of the uh, the first eighteen. It was sort of like okay, let's, <laughs> there's got to be another nine at least. <laughs> that's right. That's right. This is, this, is the, this is a weekly thing, and it, it's mm-hmm. uh, you know you look forward to the uh, the, the new episode dropping. Um, but the other thing was like I think the timing was actually perfect for you dropping them leading up to uh, mm-hmm. the Virginia Fling Off Open um, mm-hmm. because I think. Like you said, you got to meet a lot of people in Delaware, but then by the time it rolled around to being a host, like you knew so many of the, you know, mm-hmm. the people who could be there on a, on a on a real you know deep level. Um, I think that must have been great. Um, so talk about uh, talk talk about jumping into sort of you know hosting a tournament mm-hmm. because I, let me just preface it by saying like from our perspective, like one of the things we came away with was like we did Delaware, phenomenal event like a ton of work and couldn't have done it without, you know, Austin, Brett, the entire crew. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They just, they did such a phenomenal job, but it was like a ton of work on our part. And then all the stuff we had to do sort of post with the ESPN segment. Mm -hmm. And then to have you sort of, I can't remember. It was like, I think it was like June, um, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. pretty close to after the tournament, June, or maybe it was early July. Then to sort of say we'd like to, you know, Michael and I would like to to host this tournament in Virginia was like, once again, it was it was such a phenomenal thing because we need all the help we can get in having these sort of local hosts is imperative because we're not going to always have necessarily a, you know, situation like we have in American Classic with a sort of host golf course and, you know, a strong community from the pro on right. down. Um, so having someone local in that area is, is just sort of critical for us. And, but it's one of those things. It's like, you can't, you can't really ask someone to do that because right, right. You're ta- it's gotta be a volunteer kind of thing. Cause you're, you're taking on a lot of stuff. So mm-hmm. um, talk, talk about it from your perspective, like mm-hmm. a, just jumping into that and then, you know, what you thought it was going to be like and what it ended up being. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I, um, very different things. Some, I guess it was sometime in June, uh, Michael and I and Herb uh, got together to play around and um, I was telling them about having uh, played in Delaware. And I don't know if either of them were on the Facebook group. And I mean, at that point, like Michael and I, did, we had each other's email addresses, but we didn't have each other's phone numbers. Uh, so we, we played a few times um, with a few different, a few different people. Um, but it was still like through, through email. And so we played and, uh, as we were playing around and talking, uh, you know, we started tossing around. I was like, man, wouldn't it be fun to play at Heritage Oaks? Like, it'd be yeah. fun to get a tournament here, right? There's been one tournament. Um, you know, the time is right uh, and ripe for for somebody else to do one. And it's so a why why not us? Like, why not why not jump on that? So Michael and I had lunch um, 
a few uh, a week or so after that, and we're like, all right, if we were to do this, what would we need? And so we started writing out, you know, different uh, different ideas, different thoughts, different things that we would need to need to do. And, um, and so I told him about my podcast idea at that time, and I was like, look, if I do that, um, I don't think it's not going to be huge, but it, we could definitely like Virginia Fling Golf Open would become a sponsor. Like we're not going to pay anything to it, but it'll just be like, there'll be a commercial every episode or two and we can, we can talk about it. Um, and uh, I said, you know, we need to get uh, you and uh, Alex and Steve on board. Uh, but I, I didn't think that that would be much, but it would be like, you know, we, we would need them to give credence and credibility to having a, a tournament because it's like, you know, it could just be a random person doing that. I mean, it, it wouldn't be like some of the spammers that show up on the players group where it's like, Hey, look at these fling golf t-shirts. You can buy one. It's like, Oh wait, who are you? Where did you come from? Right, exactly. uh, like, I, you know, I think I'd met enough people that uh, it wouldn't be completely out of the blue, but at the same time, it's like, Hey, it's a growing sport. You know, was ESPN going to be involved to film it or not? You know, things like that. Um, but, but the idea of, um, hosting a tournament and then trying to trying to do some fun things with it um you know we talked about with you know with uh the the pga spinoff tour uh coming out and having some team stuff like you know could we do it could we do a team tournament that maybe not wouldn't wouldn't have the same pressure of the individual tournament but could still be fun and could still get us out on a course and um would that be a way to include massanutten since uh they had been uh on board with fling golf from the very beginning um so yeah that that kind of all all came through together over the course of a few months um you know we had some some ideas about what we were going to do like you know hey we'll do um (laughs) we'll do uh videos like hold by hold for heritage and kind of put that out there so you know everybody kind of is on level playing field for that but like having time to not only film it, but then to edit it, it was just, you know, we still have stuff we've got to do from Virginia, which we will have, like, we have yeah. it all, but it's right, like, right. It's, now it's the time to, to actually edit it. And, and we will, like, we've got it there. especially Right. Like, right. Know, it's like, that's that uh, it's on the, it's on the list, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, it, it just, it takes time. Yeah. And so then it was like, you know, all right, what do, we, what do we need to have? Like, we need to have some sponsors. Uh, we need to have an, uh, as affordable uh, registration fee as possible, but we don't want to go under, right? We wanna, don't want to be, you know, subsidizing the whole thing. Um, you know, negotiate with the golf courses, um, you know, find out what we're going to be doing or not doing. Uh, where are people going to stay? We picked a weekend that happened to be JMU homecoming weekend, which meant that there were no hotels in Harrisonburg. Right. Yeah. That were so, yeah, there's so many things that like you, you're not thinking about because you've never had to think. Yeah, about it. yeah, and yeah, no, it's 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 hard. And it just, it's all and, and then you know, hey, when does it rain in October in in the valley? It's like, well, <laughs> sometimes it's early October, sometimes there's a bit. We we didn't even have frost delays on our uh, on our radar. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, exactly. Which, no, neither um, did the course. I mean, I don't think they they even thought about the fact that like there could be a frost. Yeah, how, would you, how are you going to handle that for? Right. Uh, for that? Yeah. So it was. Um, but you know, I would say, like you, I think our takeaways were incredibly positive. Uh, loved loved having everybody uh, get here and um, experience the taste of it, um, uh, and. It was cool, you know. The folks at Massanutten called us that Monday, or Brett contacted us 
Monday right afterward. He was like, this was awesome. Y'all did a great job. The players that came, you know, were super serious, but fun. Um, I, I think they were shocked. You know, when they host golf tournaments, it's usually charity events or fundraising type stuff. Um, I don't know that they get many tournament type things like heritage jokes will get like state tournaments uh, right. for high school. And, and yeah. um, they've got that kind of course, but you know, with everybody, most everybody staying in and around Massanutten, people coming and playing practice rounds, getting on their driving range, getting on the putting green, like their takeaway was like, man, these are, these are some serious competitors. Um, they're fun, but like, this is a different level than they were expecting. And they're like, we're pumped. We're ready to get in. Like we want to do it bigger next year. And so we were, we were super excited about that. Yeah, um, No, that's, that's fantastic. And that's, and that was, you know, that was a similar takeaway for us, which is like, we were, we were hoping it was the case. We, we knew some yeah, people yeah. were going to take it very seriously, but we always knew that it was like some people, you know, certainly in Delaware, we're going to see it more as a, you know, casual community kind of thing. And it's, and it's really sort of both, but yeah, the number of people I remember in Delaware were sort of like, okay, well now it's about practice rounds. And it's sort of like, I'm yeah, going yeah. to play as many times as I can on That's right. Friday and some people even Thursday. And I'm like, okay, now this is, this is so great because it's, it's, it mm-hmm. just feels so real now. It's yeah. thinking about, yeah. thinking about the course, being strategic about it. Uh, like, mm-hmm. a, you know, like a, like a pro golfer would be. And, mm-hmm. So, um, and then that, you know, certainly carried over to Virginia and it's a similar thing with San Diego. It's Mm -hmm. about, you know, how the, you know, where they're going to do their practice rounds and how many times are they going to play it. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Um, love everyone's, you know, I love having the, the, the mix of it though. It's, it's everyone's super serious about the competition, but at the same time, like, we're also there to have fun and and grow that community. And, Mm -hmm. Um, that is just, you know, super, super important to us. And, and, uh, um, it just, it's, it's been great. Uh, it's been a great ride and it's, uh, one mm-hmm. that's, uh, going to keep going, which we're really, really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think 2023 is going to be a really, really fun and, uh, exciting year for continued growth. Um, it, yeah, it, it, we've, we've got a lot of potential and, uh, now I, I think it's the kind of thing where I, I hope that we can continue to attract kind of people that want to come and have fun and compete um, and, and push and, and push, you know, the, the level of play, push the, um, uh, the folks that are at the top to, to get better. I know that there's a lot of uh, push coming from uh, folks in the, uh, you know, back half of the rankings that are, are building up to say, you know what, I, can, I think I can get up to top five, top 10. Yep. Um, and I, I, I think the fun part about it is like, there, there are clear paths for that. Um, and, you know, as well as clear paths for somebody to come out of nowhere um, and uh, and make a splash. So with more tournaments, I think there's more opportunities and, and hopefully uh, we'll start to see uh, even more sponsors recognize that um, exactly and uh, and sign up. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a, an exciting time. Yeah, no, and that's like and that's like one of the messages we're trying to get out. And we're, we haven't quite hit on like the most effective way to do that for other people, which is for these tournaments coming up. It's like one of those things like you don't need to, you know, the fact that we've sort of got this tier of, of pros and rankings and things like that we're not trying to then say like, look, if you never played in a tournament um, uh, that you shouldn't be playing in this thing and that we don't, we want, we don't want, we still, you know, back to our roots of there's still community building events and mm-hmm. they're, they're completely open until the point where we can't fit enough people 
in right. the tournament because we're always going to have this sort of finals kind of thing and preliminary rounds. Mm-hmm. But we mm-hmm. want people to come and try for the first time. If if anything, like you may not have a realist, realistic chance of winning, but to be with the community and to learn yeah. more, yeah. it's almost like I think. I think if you ask certain people that went to Delaware as well as Virginia, like you could probably the number of strokes improvement they might have just by showing up at an event and mm-hmm. learning from others, learning from the top players and techniques. And that was one of the cool yeah. things for us is like having everybody together and sharing, you know, techniques and sharing, mm-hmm. you know, their um, their um, you know method of play um, was really cool. And I think that elevated play, and it's only going to continue to elevate it. But we don't want to scare away anyone from a tournament yeah. Yeah. because they need to see it as a community thing. But at the same mm-hmm. time, understand that it's also like at the, at the very top end, it's like it's going to be taken very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, getting that balance, but at the same time, we, we really want to grow that competitive play so that, mm-hmm. you know, um, I love our, our top players, but I also like with, you know, a year from now, if like half of those top 10 or people we've never even, you know, heard from that yeah. would be great too, because yeah. really we want to, to see this thing really grow. You've got to, mm-hmm. you've got to grow it at the, at the, at the grassroots level. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I know we got to wrap up here, Adam, because I've, I've probably kept you long, <laughs> longer on this thing that, uh, we initially, uh, had planned on, but, um, you know, just almost in, in, in closing, like what you've done, you know, both in terms of like the podcast and just, I mean, just as a top player as well, but podcast and, you know, you and Michael with, with hosting the Virginia Fling Golf Open, because like, you know, the first one was a, was a big hit, but like that follow-up is just as important to keep the momentum up. Mm-hmm. The job you guys did, you know, hosting that was, was fantastic. And I, I we just, we, you know, from, from Alex, Steve and I, we just we can't thank you enough for what you've done to, to help the sport grow and, and, and support us. And, you know, it was a, uh, it was a pleasure these last couple hours, you know, uh, having a conversation with you and, and diving deep. So, uh, so thank you for allowing me to, to turn the tables, but, uh, uh, officially, uh, officially give the, uh, the mic back to you and, and forward <laughs> to, uh, you know, a bunch more, a uh, bunch more holes of, uh, of content. Yeah, well, uh, you are absolutely welcome, and uh, it's been it's been such a fun, such a fun ride, and uh, it's been fun to have the uh, the freedom and openness and support to go out and you know to take an idea and say, hey, might this work? And it's like absolutely, let's let's go and run with it, and that's uh, th- that's true for. Um, uh, for the boys, you and Alex and, and Steve, but also true for the community, you know, for folks that I've reached out to to say, hey, do you want to talk for a while and record it and then put it out to the public? It's like, yeah, well, let's go and try that. And I think that that's been been a lot of fun. Um, you know, there's also folks that, uh, you know, my my dear friend, Austin, um, and I, I say that seriously, like yeah. it's been it's been so fun to uh, to get to know Austin. But, you know, he was chopping at the bit to uh, he said, hey, hey, can uh do you want to do, do you want to co-host something together? Can, if, if you ever want to have me join any of the interviews, I am happy to like just very much out there for it. And it, yeah. it worked out really well to, um, to, you know, spin off the after show and uh, to do that with him and to have, you know, as many different ways um, with the free time that I have to try to push out uh, content for the sport. 
um, it, it's really, it, it's a really exciting time and I'm appreciative to, um, to y'all and, and to folks I've been there to interview, but Showtime as well for, um, for that, uh, that, that excitement, um, in corralling and, and finding ways to, um, uh, to do new things. No, and that's what it's all about. I mean, it, it is that, you know, it's building on what others have done and, and, but it's that, that synergy to, to, you know, mm-hmm. keep that, that excitement and that buzz going. And I, I, yeah. you know, I say this a lot, but like, we're really, we're just getting started. And I, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, uh, um, look forward to the, uh, the future. Yeah. I would be remiss if I did not say a special thanks uh, to Kathy um, and to Latham and Gwendolyn as well. But, um, you know, doing interviews, I, I try to set them up at times that make sense with my schedule or in the evening after the kids go. But there's, you know, there's been sacrifices that she, in particular, Kathy's made with stuff to, to let this happen. And I, I owe her an episode um, and we'll bring her on. There's a lot of fun background. You know, she was you know, she was critical to uh, Virginia being successful um, with her her presence on the ground uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, her input and ideas for the uh, the skills challenge. Um, I had very different ideas about what that would be, and um, like many things, you know, uh, her ideas went out and uh, were able to <laughs> to get through and made that made that really fun. So, um, yeah, a big um, a big thanks to uh, to her. And, yeah, and no, she was she was fantastic. And yeah, like in Virginia, I mean, between scorekeeping and everything she did organization wise, mm-hmm. um, that was huge. I mean, we, we couldn't, yeah. you know, we were, um, uh, cause we were down Steve. We, we, you know, we, yeah. we really needed that help on, on Saturday and, um, as well as Sunday for the, for the skills challenge. She was, she was fantastic. Can't thank her enough as well as, uh, Gwendolyn Latham for, uh, for, you know, both events. I mean, their, yeah, their, their yeah. presence is, uh, uh, is helpful and uh, appreciated by everybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope I, I'm pretty sure they're having fun with it, but I hope, but I hope they are. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's if, I mean, they, with, you know, when they found out the different events uh, for 2023, they're like, Oh, so which ones can I play? I'm like, well, which ones are you going to commit to? Like we talked about before Virginia, you know, I'd had several conversations with Latham. I'm like, you know, if you want to play in the individual tournament, I'm happy for you to do so, but you need to be able to, you know, be committed to playing all 18 yep. to, you know, not getting down on yourself if you're not doing as well as the adults. Cause you're 10 and everybody else is not. <laughs> um, but, but it worked out really well because, um, uh, Taz on Sunday was, you know, stuck around and he was like, Hey, do you have anybody that wants a partner? I was like, you know what? I think Latham would play if you're okay with playing with my son. He was like, man, that'd be great. And then, uh, probably I, I loved, uh, Michael and I had a fun round together. We got to play with Austin and Ken, but probably the best part of our round on Sunday was hearing from Kathy, which was like, Hey, Latham almost got a hole in one and then SVL comes back around. He's like, Adam, I almost saw a hole in one from your son. I was like, man, that was, that was awesome. Uh, not hated to not get to see it, but for just knowing how exciting that moment, uh, would have been to see the ball getting closer and closer. must've been just, uh, just awesome. Oh yeah, no, com- completely. And, uh, um, cause I don't think he got it. I think he got part of it filmed. I don't think he got the whole film. <laughs> Um, yeah, because it was tough. You just it's it's hard to get complete coverage on a hole. And that's the problem. With oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You you did, you did it from the tee, and you did it from the from the green, from the green as well, right? Yeah, we'll get there one day, right? We, we will have exactly, exactly. We'll have a camera uh, 
on on every tee and every green, or at least nine of them that we can, yeah. you know, not move everything. Uh, like but, towers, uh, towers on the green. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam. Well, thanks again, and uh, it's been a pleasure. And uh, we'll uh, I'll see you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, John. All right. Take care. Many thanks to John Brulich for interviewing me, uh, for uh, the idea uh, to uh, to interview me, interview me for one of the episodes, uh, and for being a great uh, person to chat with. Really appreciate the support from him, the New Swarm guys, as well as all of you. Thank you for um, for listening to that, for um, the encouragement that you are constantly providing, and for sharing this podcast. Uh, it was a lot of fun to talk about myself, <laughs> which um, I didn't know that it would be, but uh, clearly when I was uh, looking back at the length of the episode, I was like, oh crap, that's a, that's a lot of me um, talking and uh, for you to listen to. But uh, anyways, I appreciate it. Uh, it's such a joy to do this podcast and to, uh, to continue to spread the word about Fling Off. So um, with this, um, this is being released right before the San Diego Open. Uh, hopefully I'll be seeing several of you in the next few days from uh, this publication date, uh, and if not then, at future tournaments in 2023. Anyway, safe travels everybody, and happy flinging.